Good evening, everyone. Go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter number 5. Let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Let's read them together. The Bible says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we come back to the Beatitudes, and some of you may be saying, Pastor, you keep reading these over and over and over again. It's like you want me to remember them like next week. Yes, that would be great, and, and next month, and so uh, as I am a visual person, uh, I'm going to use a little visual here, and somebody probably looked and go, who didn't put away the ladder? It, it was me, so it was my fault. Hold on, I'm going to grab it. So I think about the Beatitudes, and as I've said over and over, it's this x-ray to show if we're true believers. It's this x-ray that says, hey, are, are you authentic? Are you a real kingdom-minded believer? I'm going to be careful with the instruments. Don't worry, all right? But it's this stepladder. And so I just want us to kind of see this. That first step, as we studied the first night, is poor in spirit. So I'm going to put this on the ladder. This first step of, of being a believer is that we come to the Lord bankrupt, Knowing that only because of Jesus may we be saved. The second one we learned was there must be this mourning. If we're true followers of Christ, right, there's this, this mourning where our hearts are broken. Why? Because of sin. And then there is this meekness, not this shyness or to be timid, but to one who has power under control. To be meek. And then today, we're going to look at a couple more, but really it breaks down into there's these eight beatitudes. You look at the first four, and it's a heart issue. It's this inner workings that are happening in our lives. And then the next four are really this attitude being manifested. And what happens when this is what's happening in our hearts? All right, so side tabernacle people, you okay? Can you, you need to turn this a little bit more. All right, is that good? Everybody good? All right, quiet bunch over there. They didn't respond at all. <laughs> so the wonderful promise of the Lord to be blessed, to truly be happy, to truly be filled, to have true blessing. So today, let's look at the fourth one. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And I thought, great, we're going to talk about food for a half an hour. Everybody's going to pay attention really well. But here in the passage, blessed are those who hunger. And this word means starving. Blessed are those who are starving. They are famished. They need the righteousness of God. And to be honest with you, this is one I can struggle to connect with. Why? I've never been starving. 
Right? The way that we eat in our culture and there's food on every single corner. And, you know, like, I, I think we eat differently than they did. I eat, I'm a grazer. I eat all day long. It's just what I do. I don't need a big meal. It's just like 20 minutes later, what am I going to eat? You can ask my wife about every half an hour, I'm standing at the fridge going, hmm. No, freak, can I eat ice cream yet? What about the bowl? Is a bowl of cereal time? That's just who I am. I think it was a little bit different then. Think about words that come out of our mouth that maybe have come out of your mouth. You ever said, uh, I'm starving, or man, I could eat a horse. Or, is that right? Or you say, why is there never any food in this house? I'm so hungry. And to be honest, each of those statements, if I say them, are, are not true. Right, to think about how long I've gone without food. Maybe there's been a time in your life when you have, but I, I haven't. I think about, I'm so, not really, I could eat a horse. Well, no, but for multiple reasons, no. <laughs> there's never any food in this house. Listen, if there was no more food in the world, you could come to our house. We could eat for months, right? Like there's enough food in there. But here in this passage... Jesus speaking to the people, I think food was a little different. There is a time where there could be famine, where they're, 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 they, they need food, they're, they're hungry. Again, one author said, the intensity of the expression is difficult for us to feel today. So maybe as we just talk about that, to get to a place to go, Jesus was calling them to starve for his righteousness. So go with me to Luke chapter 14. We're going to sit there a minute. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a meal. It's an interesting meal. The Bible says in Luke 14, on one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Here's one of those uncomfortable meals that is happening. Jesus is there, they're talking, but it's like we're, we're, we're trying to trick Jesus, we're trying to capture Jesus, and, and here, you know, Jesus is, is, is speaking with them, and they're trying to figure out how, how do we capture him so, so we can discredit him and humiliate him, so they no longer look to him, they'll look to us. And so when you skip over to verse 15, one who was at the table, he speaks up, almost like a toast, and he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So it's, it's like they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, another one speaks up and goes, hey, and, and one of one, uh, the commentaries said, I wonder if the guy was like, it was really, really awkward, and he was just trying to break the ice, like, hey guys, we're all together, here, right? We're all going to eat in the kingdom. I don't think that's what's happening. I think the Pharisees were trying to prove they were the righteous they were good. The kingdom, when Messiah would come back, they would be commended. They would be put in charge. It was about them. And so saying, hey, look at us. You know who's going to eat bread? You know who's going to be famous in the kingdom? We are. So Jesus then begins to tell a story. Jesus said, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many and at the time of the banquet, he sent servants to say to those who have been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. 
But they all alike began to make an excuse. Here, Jesus, I, I, I believe this to be a picture of Jesus offering the kingdom, offering this feast of, of peace and guidance and of friendship and of rest and one set of, of victory. And here, Jesus is saying, this joy, come to my meal to be with me. And commentary talked about how then there would be the invitation to come. But they wouldn't know what time the meal was. So all these people had already accepted. They've already sent in the RSVP. But now came, hey, the meal is now ready. Come, come and be and be with the Lord. Come eat with the Lord. And they all began to make excuse. And their excuses are fascinating. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go. And see it. All right, is that a little weird to you? I usually, if I'm going to buy something, I usually look at it first, check it out before before I do that. The next one said so. The next one said, "I have bought five yoke of oxen. I must go and examine them." You know, you go and buy the car, and you go, you know what, I bought the car, but now I'm going to go look at it, make sure it's good and running and has the parts of it. No, we don't do that, right? You do that before you buy it. So I think of these first two excuses. They're just excuses. They're not real. But then the next one. I mean, the next one has some validity. I, I think about, like, if they're on Family Feud, the first two answers got this, you know, but this one, as this guy pronounces his excuse, I can see all the family going, all right, yes, this is a good one. This, this is a good excuse right here. He can't, this, this is the right answer. Another one said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Good excuse, huh? Let's, let's get real biblical, right? The Lord, he ordains marriage, doesn't he? The Lord does. And marriage is a good thing from the Lord. And the Lord tells, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So I can't come to the meal because I have to be a good husband. I mean, I got to be as Christ and, and I got to do this. And, and marriage is a good thing. And so, Jesus, I, I can't come and be with you. I can't seek your righteousness because I have marriage. Man, as the church, we're really good at justifying things, aren't we? Is marriage a wonderful thing? Yes. If your wife is placed before God, she becomes an idol. And we are really good at taking good things like our children and to say, hey, are your children important? You betcha. Children are so important, and, and to nourish them and to raise them up, right? Pray all the time that I would not provoke my son to anger, but to raise him up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Like, that is my prayer. That's what God has called me to do. But if my son, and, and focusing on him, moves in front of my relationship and being with the Lord, I've made my son an idol. And in our American culture, 
So many times our children are becoming the idols. They rule the home. What they are doing, where they are going, the sports they are playing, it rules everything. It becomes an excuse about why we don't meet with the Lord and go and have dinner with the Lord and be with the Lord. And I know we can make excuses, right? And, and, and this isn't you know, specifically speaking of the, the church, but we can go, you know, we, I know we don't have time for church, but just because I don't have time for church doesn't mean I can, you know, can't be with the Lord. And that, that's true. But I love one guy said, hey, you can have a relationship with the Lord and not go to church. And you can also be married and not go home. But both of those are going to lead to bad relationships. So here to go, hey, what, what's the priority? The Bible says, hey, you're a true follower of Christ. You must hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hunger and thirst after him to love him. We can put so many things in the way. We can, be, we can put being on staff at the church in the way. We can put churchy programs in the way. We can put our job, all of these good things, they can be placed before that starving to be with the Lord and to meet with him. It's the justification, and we are good at using churchy terms. My son, years ago, I think he was like six years old, and we were watching Family Feud. And the question was, where is the best place to take somebody on a first date. And so they were giving their answers. And a guy spoke up and his answer was to church. And all of a sudden my six-year-old son exploded and went, Oh, we got a believer here! <laughs> How fast we become churchy. How fast we know the terms and can walk through all the things we're supposed to. But do we have this starving to be with the Lord, to know his truth? So many things get in the way. And possessions and affections. We go through the Bible and you look at Nebuchadnezzar. His hunger was for praise. You look for Lucifer. His hunger was for power. You look at the rich young ruler. His, his, his hunger was for pleasure. Do we have a hunger for the righteousness of God? Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed two evils, for they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, Broken cisterns that hold no water. What is it saying? That we humans love to try to fulfill ourselves with other things than the Lord, and it won't ever hold. C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, with infinite joy, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what it meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis. But to hunger 
for righteousness. Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as, a dry, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Philippians 1.9 says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. To have dinner with Jesus. For it to be a desire to meet with him. To know his righteousness. To, to seek him. pastor said concern for righteous living is on the decline in the evangelical church. The hunger for that righteousness. A few months ago, I uh, uh, was going to purchase a, a truck. And uh, I'm, I'm like super frugal guy, so I want to find the best deal I can find ever, ever, ever. I don't know if some of you are like that. It's just what I, what I like to do. So it, like once I deter, okay, I think it's time I'm going to buy a truck. Then I start searching and searching and searching here. No, call this guy. No, and just, just trying to find the best price. So as I was searching for a truck, I found a really good deal. I was like, okay, this is a great deal. It was four hours away in Ohio. I should have known right away. It was Ohio. That's what gave it away, but... Uh, <laughs> Is it most amen? No. Uh, so I call the sales guy. You know, you always trust those guys. Uh, and uh, Lord, my wife said that you probably need to explain. Sometimes you're sarcastic. So there it is. I explained sometimes. But talk to the salesperson and uh, walk through. Hey, everything good? I just want to make sure when I drive down there, it's like, a totally different, I want to make sure the vehicle that I see and everything, not, everything is right. And he's like, oh yeah, it's great. He goes, I'll take it, I'll FaceTime you, we'll, I'll walk you all around the vehicle, I'll show you everything. Awesome, great. So I was like, perfect. And uh, I said, okay, everything looks good, checks out, you know, the, the, the Fox thing, what's that called? That, that's all good, everything's, everything's all good to go. I said, one thing though, I want to make sure when I get down there, I don't want to open the truck and have it smell. I just want to make sure that, like, I just don't want it to, you know, I just, I don't want it to smell like smoke. I just want, and he goes, nope, smells great. Awesome. So I hitch a ride with a guy in the church who was working down there that day. He drops me off. I go to the truck. Looks great. I open the door. It reeks. It reeks so bad. What's even more fun is that I feel like they just kept dumping more and more stuff to, to kind of cover up how it reeked, like just more and more stuff. And I was so like, hey, I just asked for one thing. It's, it's the smell every day. Like, I know you tried to cover it up, but the guy who owned it before it, right, the smell, it carried on. And I know you tried to say, oh, yeah. nope, it, 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 it. You couldn't stop the smell. So I tell you that because just thinking about the smell, I think on the opposite end, Jesus makes a meal and offers it to you. You can open the door and there's a wonderful smell. He makes a meal for you and it's just, it's the best meal. 
He offers it to you and you walk in. And do you really hunger for that? Because if we do, I think as Christians, if there is a hunger and a thirst to have meal with the Lord and to know his righteousness, that smell of the meal, guess what? It should be on you. You take the smell with you. And as a follower of Christ, if this is who we are, we should start to smell like Jesus. Like, as you walk around, it's just, you know, you ever run into those people, just random person, you don't know who they are, but how they act and how they respond and what they say, you're like, mm-hmm, you just know it. Because they're different. Because of the righteousness of God has been poured over their life. This is who we should be, church. So take the spiritual hunger test. Are you hungry for the Lord? First question is this. Does the hunger get you off the couch? Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became a, to me a joy and a delight in my heart. See, if we're hungry, we get up and go to the fridge. If there's nothing in the fridge, we go to the store. If there's no money to pay for the food, we get a job. If we don't have the ability to get the job, we grab a sign. That's what hunger looks like. And if we're hungering after Christ, it gets us off the couch. It changes our appetite. John 4, 34. See, there isn't just a couple verses about food. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. One book said, a hungry man cannot be satisfied by an arrangement of lovely flowers or beautiful music or a pleasant conversation. All those things are good but have no ability to satisfy hunger. Only God's righteousness will satisfy the hunger of one who is poor in spirit, who is mourning over sin. And what is beautiful about this is this is the cycle of being hungry. And the Bible says, right, what does it say here in, in chapter 5? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. You'll be filled. It's the cycle of I'm hungry and the Lord fills me. And I'm back to being hungry again and the Lord fills me. And I'm back to being hungry again. Maybe tonight you're here and you say, Pastor, I want that, but I struggle. Can I tell you? Tell the Lord. Ask him to help. Tell him. Ask him. Say, Lord, help me to grow in my hunger for your righteousness. Give me that desire, Lord. Strike down these other things that I put down as idols. and may, may I put those in the right spot? May I be hungry for you. Beatitude number five. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now we move into a place where this is our heart, and now it moves into actions. It manifests into actions. So what does it look like? 
God says true believers are those who are merciful. And mercy's hard. Luke chapter 6 talks about mercy. It says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But you, Christian, love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Here the basic meaning of mercy is to give help to the afflicted, to give help to the helpless. Very famous story, the Good Samaritan, where there is a Jewish man who is hurt and dying on the side of the road. Somebody comes to Jesus trying to trick him and says, Jesus, who's my neighbor? I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is that? And Jesus tells the perfect story. He says there was a Jewish man, he's beat up and dying on the side of the road. Priest comes by, doesn't have time. Another man comes by, doesn't have time. And then a Samaritan comes. And I want you to think the people listening to the story probably gagged like, oh no. Because some Jews would rather die than receive help from the Samaritan. They hated each other. Jesus says the Samaritan who is hated by the Jewish people, he's the one that showed love. He's the one that cared. Even though the Jews looked at the Samaritans and said that they don't have a chance with God. The thought of it is good if they burn and go to hell. The Samaritan is who loved. And here Jesus was showing, this is what mercy looks like. He's calling us as Christians to not be selfish and to be self-righteous. But to love. Commonly we connect mercy and grace. And one book said it like this, I thought it was so well. Mercy offers relief from punishment. Grace offers the pardon from the crime. Mercy eliminates the pain. Grace cures the disease. Mercy says no to hell, whereas grace says yes to heaven. Mercy says I pity you, and grace says I pardon you. We're called to show mercy, ready, to those who will spit in your face. Why? Because Jesus did. They spit in his face and he showed them mercy. He truly loved. It wasn't for what he would get in return. It wasn't about his rights. 
Listen, a lot of us, especially in our American culture, we are all about our rights. And if I don't get my rights, because I'm watching that news channel over and over and over and over again, that demands, I better get my rights. Jesus says, well, what if you don't get your rights? What if you lay your rights down? What if you're selfless? Again, one author said that many people are about their inalienable rights. My life, my pursuit of happiness, my self-interest, my self-protected spirit. It characterizes a fallen human nature. Above all else, sinful man wants what he thinks he is owed. And he is inclined to wreak havoc on anyone who takes that away. Retaliation usually is the interest. The problem is if we're true believers in Christ, we don't want to get what we're owed. If we're true believers and we yell for justice and we go, man, everybody should get what they deserve. I want you to know I am so thankful because of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. I don't get what I deserve. I deserve the wrath of God. The righteous, good wrath of God is what I deserve. But because of Jesus and his love and his mercy and grace, he goes to the cross and dies on the cross, and he takes the wrath of God for me. That's what Christ did. And so Christ tells us to be different, to live differently. So in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus uh, goes on and he gets through the Beatitudes, he gets to a part that a lot of us struggle. He gets to the part where he talks about eye for eye. It's Matthew chapter 38. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. For if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Here Jesus is calling us to have mercy. And I know... Now you ask the question, wait a minute, wait, time out. I mean, I am good with mercy, but is God calling us to be doormats? Is God telling me like every beggar I see at the corner, like, oh, turn around, miss the beggar. They're asking, we got to give it to him. Are they telling me my nephew who just asked for $1,000 to waste on video games, if he asks for it, I'm supposed to give it to him. Is that what this is? No, that's not what this is. As Jesus is speaking here and he's talking about mercy, he does not throw away wisdom. Here as he's speaking, he talks about this eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's it's this beautiful thing because the Old Testament set up this judicial system 
that said, hey, if somebody does this in our judicial system, we have to respond with what is right. Right? If somebody steals somebody's chicken, you don't get to kill their child. You can't do that. And so in the Old Testament Leviticus, when they set up eye for eye, they said in the judicial system, you, you can't do more than this is a just response. You can't go over the line. But the Pharisees, what they had done is they had turned this righteousness and they had manipulated it. And they had said, no, no, no. This is the least that somebody's going to have to repay. If somebody does something, I'm going to go get them. And they're going to have to do this, this, and this to pay me back. And Jesus is like, no, you're missing it. In the Old Testament, the judicial system, which is good and still good today, man, it needs to have a just response. And so he was calling out the Pharisees who were manipulating people, abusing people for themselves. He was calling out and saying, hey, excessive punishment is gross. And he was calling here now for the church to say, hey, we first have to respond with mercy. That doesn't mean that you don't discipline your child, right? It doesn't mean you don't have wisdom and discernment to say, hey, I'm not going to do that or this. It is talking about having this spirit of Christ in us to give mercy. Years ago, I uh, took a mission trip um, to Jamaica. I was the youth pastor, took about 20 kids down to Montego Bay, and it wasn't, you may think, oh, you just took them for fun. No, we stayed in downtown Montego Bay on every door. There was padlocks and bars, and so we took a group down there and did VBS and worked at a church. And so uh, as the youth pastor, taking these kids down there is, is a really heavy responsibility, Right? You can't get like a 98% return rate. That's not an A, right? That's, that doesn't work. You've got to bring them all back. And so this trip, I took a bunch of teenagers, high schoolers down there. And it was years ago. So it was right before that time where, where kids had to have passports to go. And so they could have IDs and they could have birth certificates. And so we uh, flew down there, got through all the checkpoints. I mean, that's stress enough to take like 18 high schoolers through the airport. And you're pulling your, okay, everybody, just don't say anything. All right, just keep it together. All right. And you got them all on the plane. I'm like, all right, success. And we land in Jamaica and we get off the plane. Then you have to go through customs. And uh, the time that we went was during spring break in Jamaica. So not very many people at the airport. It's, again, a part of my sarcasm, right? Like the, the, the airport is nuts, and there's so many people there. And we get in the line for customs, and I have all these kids. I'm like, here's what you do. Here's all your paperwork. You walk through. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Walk through so we can get in the country. So all my kids are in the line, and I'm just back kind of watching. And all of a sudden, I see over this desk, there's this lady. She, she starts, I mean, like, she starts looking at things. And, and, and she calls for, like, a supervisor to come over. So the supervisor come over, and all of a sudden, the girl who's, you know, the little high school girl, 18-year-old girl, she turns around in, like, teary-eyed fear, like, help, help, help. So, so I come over there. I see the supervisor, and she looks at me, and she says, she doesn't have the right paperwork. If I came to your country and had this paperwork, they wouldn't let me in. So you know what? She can't come in. 
She's not allowed. She looked at the lady who was there like, here's what you got to do, and then we got to find a plane to get her out of here. And all I can think about is that girl's dad, who's about this tall, and he is a big guy, not being very happy with me that we didn't have the right paperwork. So the supervisor walks away. The lady right at, you know, at that desk looked at me. She did a couple stamps and things, and she looked at me, and I just said, where do we go now? She said, see those doors right there? I want you to walk through those doors. She said, okay. So I took the little girl, and we began. We walked through the doors. As I got through the doors, I looked up, and my whole team was standing there. And I thought, what are, what are you guys doing here? Well, we all got checked in. We're good. We're going to get our bags. Okay, sounds good to me. And we began to walk. <laughs> we get our bags. We get through the airport. We get on the bus. We get to the place we're staying. I guess we're in. <laughs> Wonderful week. Mission trip, awesome. And about four days later, I went, oh, we got to go back. <laughs> the first couple days, I'm like, I would always like, are they coming to get us? I don't know. Get to the last day. My stress is a little high. We get to the airport. It is crazy. The airport, there are so many people there. I mean, we get there so early, but it is just chaos. We get our stuff. We get our tickets. We go through checking our bags. And that little 18-year-old girl's walking through checking her bags, and she puts her bag on the little thing that's got to have the scanner. And she looked up, and there was the lady that was at the desk that called over the supervisor that said we weren't allowed in the country. And that lady, seeing thousands and thousands of people that week, looked at that little 18-year-old girl and said, like what I did there? <laughs> did you do good? I like when God takes care of things, huh? Even when we didn't do what was right, we didn't have the right paperwork. We didn't. That lady could have said, you, you did wrong, you're out. But what did she do? She showed mercy. She said, you know what? I'm going to take care of you in this. I'm going to show mercy even though you didn't do everything right. This is the heart of true believers we cannot live a life that goes, I've got to get what I deserve. Give me my rights. No, we go, we follow Jesus. He is merciful and he was merciful to me. And I am called to show that mercy. The instinct is not road rage and to yell and to scream. The instinct is to care for people. Jesus said this. He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross. It's to lay it down. It's to lay things down and to love people. And this is what changes us. 
See, this is what happens when we see these young people in the world trying to figure out who they are. And the world keeps telling them lies and says, hey, if you do this, you'll be fulfilled. And so they look different. And so instead of responding with anger and hate, we respond with pity and love to go, hey, if only you'd know the truth of Jesus. If only you know you're created in the image of God, that God loves you, that he died on the cross for you. And I know the world tells you if you do this or that, then you'll be fulfilled. It won't fulfill you. And we live as people that look at the world instead of going, they're a mess, they're a mess, well that's a wreck. We look at people and are broken. Why? Because they follow the prince of this world. The one who is blinding unbelievers. The one who is a liar. They're being tricked and manipulated. And Jesus said, hey church, have pity for them. Love them. Care for them. And we truly love them by what? Being merciful and pointing them to Jesus and pointing them to the truth. The Beatitudes are this heavy x-ray on our life where I think we need to return often. We look and say, I am a place where I keep knowing I'm bankrupt without Jesus. Am I in a place where I still mourn over sin? Am I in a place where I have meekness, this power and control? Am I hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of Christ? So that I live a life that shows mercy to a broken and lost world. Will you stand with me, please? Tyler, we'd like to come. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, well, God, I pray you convict me to have pity for people. think about those middle school students, those high school students over there listening to your truth. It's so wonderful, but Lord, I think of the world they'll grow up in. Satan seeks to devour them as he is a liar. Lord, may we be kingdom-minded Christians seeking to love them. Show them your truth that they may be saved. Lord, please keep molding us and shaping us. I sure need you. I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.